probably didn't expect to hear from me again but here i am uh, it's been a while a couple of months actually a lot has happened um if i try to come up with excuses for why uh, i didn't put up another episode uh, there's many uh, one of which was i was away for quite a while traveling through asia and then lots of other shit and then um yeah you know how it is time flies and um yeah don't get things done or forget about it uh but now we're back and it's uh an anniversary edition it's the 10th episode and um it's a little treat it's one of the the second part of the conversation that i had with mark um i talked to mark in episode eight um and we recorded this in 2015 actually uh and now it becomes a little personal don't know why but i think that's i want this podcast format to be have a little personal relationship with the listeners whether i know them or not but i want to give you the sense of yeah knowing me a little bit so uh, while mark and i were recording um uh my dad actually died which was uh yeah unexpected it was a bit odd because uh we had our mobiles turned off while recording and when i uh when we went out to get some dinner i turned it back on again and there was a lot of missed calls and uh, obvious text messages that um uh yeah were undoubtedly uh meaning bad news anyway so that that sort of left uh, me being very sloppy with the podcast uh um taking care of business and life and such um yeah but fuck this this soon as this has always been a year ago it seems time's flying really uh anyway excited to um to be able to throw this one out now and um the reason why i just mentioned the life and death story is um it's it was weird listening to that story again uh because in the back of my head <laughs> always uh uh, remember how much fun we had and uh, uh, then the, the the sheer contrast that followed that conversation afterwards anyway um as usual uh, a pleasure talking to mark we bubble about a lot of stuff um in the first part we focused a lot on podcasting there's some podcasting stuff there as well um we continue with the the internet history digital archaeology uh going back in time and uh, time means 10 20 years uh, uh of, of the early internet days um theme so that's a lot of fun i think i hope you enjoy it too and uh, here he comes mm-hmm. wow that's very science fiction future is horror terrible a lot of severed hands yeah. How do how how do we able to access all the files? They'll have tools. 
Like human then, hands. Maybe on sticks. Human hands on sticks on spikes. Uh, yeah, the crab people. I don't know. I think this is all very um, potentially egocentric or egoistic, and also wishful thinking because. Probably the truth is, for the scenario that we're talking about, hundreds and hundreds and if not thousands of years from now, assuming even if it's not the Earth, right? It could be somewhere else, but the data is, is there. Um, it uh, this 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 file that we're gonna that we have or are recording, it'll not probably not be found. It'll be it'll be lost. It'll be damaged. It'll be unusable. It'll or it'll be just too much. What if we save so much from this generation? If that's even possible. Then why would you hear this one versus a million other audio files? So the chances that future crab people or whoever are listening to us are, is I think extremely slim. Uh, I'd like to say future crab people as if they present so crab people are not <laughs> in here New York yet. City, I'm pretty sure that ah, a bunch of but that's a different podcast. Yeah. Um, Mole people. Yeah, is there a fail-safe system for? digital for, for all the servers out there in the world for the cloud what is is there a scenario where one big major cataclysmic event just destroys all the digital files imagine a world in where in which we have a big uh, blackout global blackout they're talking about scenarios like that an yes. EMP <laughs> that's the thing that shuts up anyway yeah oh and the beam yeah, and all electricity stops working, and it like I think it ruins. I don't know. EMP. Somebody look it up. <laughs> but um, is there a scenario? Uh, um, they talk about one... um, uh, cyber warfare, for instance. Right. Uh, one of the main uh, targets would be utilities and uh, making sure that you get an entire country off the grid, yeah. mainly to uh, destroy communication channels. So, uh, but that will also bring. Um, yeah, a loss of energy. And, yeah. Right. Well, yeah, a lack of electricity would do it. <laughs> but then again, I mean, solar, the, the possibility of decentralized electricity reduces the chance of that, although we're not very far with that, but we're somewhere with that. Solar flares, then. <laughs> I don't know. Well, decent one. Um, I, of course, I think it is possible, but very difficult at this point. I don't know. You know, it's, I'm not... There are... Every now and then I get to interview like a... Um, what do you call it? A systems failure or a... Uh, expert. I know a few from the hacker community mostly, and they become sort of scholars in this. And they can quantify, or they've tried to quantify, how long before, for example, sitting right here in Stockholm, if power, if roads were cut off, how long we would survive. Or depending on which system fails first, what could we do? What would be our alternatives? Um, so, I'm yeah, I've never really studied that stuff very, very much. It seems to me like with data centers... Once you start down the road of data centers, which we're, we're going down, on the one hand, that's a lot of data in one place. On the other hand, there's so much redundancy. Uh, you know who's exploring this topic? Uh, the show about hackers, the latest one. Um, oh, uh, Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot. And, you know, in, in, I don't know what you think of the show. It's, it's very, hmm, I think it's hot, cold. But, it's entertaining. Yeah, and, and they get into this whole idea that, okay, there's a data center. It's in upstate New York. And it's the number one for the number one corporation, like the Google of that show, right? Which I find weirdly called Evil Corp. It's a little too... I, that I don't like. I hate that. Anyway, um, maybe I'm missing the symbolism. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. It's... Literal. I don't know. I just tried to spell it backwards. 
It was a YouTube. Evil Levi. Evil is spelled love. Evil is spelled love. Anyway. Live! Uh, no. Uh, so, um, and then they're like, oh, the redundancy, the backup is in China. So all we need is the hackers in China to do their part to take down that data center. And then we do our part to take down this data center, either with a fire or with some kind of attack. Yeah. And then that's it. And then that data will be lost. Right. And that's too simple for What's funny is the Chinese seem to be fine. They just have to press a button. (laughs) And they just have to do a lot of social uh, social engineering. They have to be physically there and... uh, Check out people's Facebook profiles and uh, find their weaknesses. Yeah. And uh, put a thingy in the thermostat so you can turn the temperature all the way up. Sorry, I ruined the show for you, but you're not really missing so it. So they just have to jump through all these classic physical hoops. Yes. Where the other ones are just put the Chinese. So. I believe the reason for this is a simple theatrical reason. You what would you that? film? <laughs> I push the button. I mean, they make that stuff very dramatic now with music and people gathering around. Another thing that I hate about movies like that or series like that, they still make those weird artificial uh, computer noises. (laughs) (laughs) Computers don't sound like it. They don't sound at all, period. Oh, yeah. They give a lot of sounds to the closing of windows or the... Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of sounds. A lot of sounds. I I think it's the the need to make things more dramatic than they are. Things are too quiet now, so... I don't know. Foleying as an art is still out there. It's... It was great in the 80s where you had war games and stuff like that. Yeah. And, uh, oh my God. They're using a different font. There's always a back door. I know, I'll use a back door. What? <laughs> Eddie Izzard, yeah. Uh, rockets. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, redundancies. I'm sure it's still possible, but um, it's so hard to get people to really um, uh, cooperate. <laughs> I really like the idea of uh, everything being stored somewhere, but I, I really don't know of any centralized storage. or um, well, Redundancy backup. So one of the ideas behind archive.org, I mean, depending on who you ask, but archive.org is a non-profit, that's key, because should there never be, any, you know, as long as it's run by a lot of libraries, a lot of universities. Um, so in theory, a lot of public funds, I want to say government funds. And for the most part, governments don't go out of business. Uh, and that's kind of the good news. So in theory, archive.org will always exist as a place where things are stored. And a lot of people take that idea a little too literally and believe that it'll always be there. But it seems to be a, a survivor, internet-wise. Maybe they'll they'll put it in writing somehow that it really would last. In a way, it could be the seed bank, you know, that whole seed bank in the Arctic or wherever mm. that is, um, for for data. So so if we take uh, the the great futurist podcast uh, Frank Nora, he is a big believer in the archive.org. He he puts all of his files there. He he believes that that's the most likely candidate of a place. That years and years from now, when many companies have perhaps disappeared or data is lost, it'll still be there. There's a chance. Um, I don't know. I could see it collapse. Every now and then you see them like a Wikipedia type thing where they're asking for funds. And that's when I'm like, oh, funds yeah, are low. Yeah, that's thought that Wikipedia, <laughs> they always have to come knocking and ask for money, which I gladly pay every now and then. But and also, it's a clear sign that this thing won't be around forever. And also servers getting old. Yeah. Uh... I don't know. 
I mean, are you up? Are you getting new servers all the time? Is there a regular sort of upgrading? Um, yeah, I used to have so many hard drives as my backups. I had like a backup from my backup, and they all still exist. They're all still in a box next to my computer. I have no idea if they would work if I plugged them in. Same here. I was thinking about my thesis the other day. <laughs> it's on A. I don't even know what the... Zip I, drive? I got it from you. A zip drive. You got it from me. I, I was, no idea. I was such a dealer of zip back in the day. <laughs> and that was around this time where I bought my first USB stick, which costed a fortune. Yeah. And it stored 15 megabytes. Oh, how exciting. That's like three songs. Maybe 32. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so I, I'm, I'm really concerned. I... I even even though it sounds sound sounds cheesy, if you look at the great library of Alexandria, mm-hmm. they had a which fire. Is completely <laughs> completely fireproof. The Until... great architects of Alexandria <laughs> promise the mayor of Alexandria. Um, I read a book about it. Yeah, um, yeah. They all talk about the. You know they had what, a fire, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They lost. They lost. They always. <laughs> <laughs> they always cry about it. They lost so much information. The great fire, so mm. much information in that fire, and um, yeah. yeah, I think we might experience the same. And who's to decide what to save? I lost two great, <gasps> almost Pulitzer Prize-winning oh. blogs oh. just because I didn't pay the bills. Yeah, and was God. stupid. Or I, I thought I had backups, but apparently I didn't. I thought I had automized it somehow, but. Uh, might it. Anyway, uh, so who's to decide that this is very important and significant? We really have to make sure that this kid pays his bills, and uh, or at least pay your bills, put, people. Put it on the great server of Alexandria. Yes, the um, great server of Alexandria. The UN should have a uh, the great server of the UN. Uh, but interesting, by the way, potentially um, in the olden days of making websites. So we're talking the mid nineties. Um, a lot of us would use we who are out there yeah, and a tablet and take my car with my bare feet <laughs> will not and uh, it would make websites on GeoCities oh. GeoCities was a place ladies and gentlemen and um, future ladies and gentlemen it was ridiculous I mean they believed that the, the way to claim a website was to first choose an area they named, like, you were choosing a block where you're going to live. And I remember I chose Television City. Mm-hmm. I don't remember why. I liked television. I have no idea. I thought it was media. And there was just, like, I don't know, the Acropolis. I, if you like travel, I have no idea. So there were these different names. And then once you chose what village, you would still have to choose a number. I remember I was 5979. Wow. 5979. So I was like, you know, geocities.com, television city, slash and then I made one for the band that I was in, right? And the, the website for the band that had a guest book, all that shit. Now, there were thousands, maybe more, maybe hundreds of thousands, I don't know, but there were definitely thousands of websites on GeoCities. Good ones and bad ones. And GeoCities got so popular that it was sold to Yahoo by around 97, I want to say. Maybe 96, maybe earlier. Wow. And fine, it was Yahoo GeoCities, no problem. You could still log in, you could still make your websites, and people did. Um, I think by 2001, 2002, Blogger appeared, but it wasn't the only reason. It just, there were much better ways to make it. WordPress became a thing, especially by 2002. And so people weren't using GeoCities to build websites anymore. The, the addresses were horrible. Um, I think they had moved them to Yahoo slash something, but it still wasn't working. People weren't 
liking it. So at some point, they announce, again, this theme, we're going to shut down GeoCities. Uh, I don't know, back up your websites, <laughs> some HTML files. And people generally, I don't think, did. And thousands of websites were lost. And in fact, a couple of years ago, two years ago, I want to say, I think it was in Spain, a university started to, or some researchers, got a grant to start, uh, ask Yahoo if they could have access to these servers and start rebuilding, re-putting them together, making them work even. I think if you search deep on the internet, you'll find some of the scaffolding. Wayback Machine on archive.org, which has screenshots or, or sort of the skeleton of a lot of websites, will also do the trick. Uh, they'll show you what those websites used to look like. And it's funny because it's, it's an archaeology project on the web. There's a great Onion video with one of the Onion talk shows, you know, with these fake, good morning, and how are you, the weather out there today, later today, author. And they, they always have to be so dumb, and they go, today we're going to, on the program, we're going to have an archaeologist who's here to tell us about an ancient community known as Friendster? I don't, what? And, and they sit down with him, and he's dressed as like a safari kind of person. <laughs> Tell us about Friendster. Well, as far as we know, it was a place where people would share uh, photos, often involving alcohol, <laughs> and you had friends, a friend list, um, and you can write comments or something, and we're not quite sure. And then they ask, what happened to the people of Friendster? We don't really know how they died off. We think there might have been some great uh, catastrophe believe that they had knowledge of the solar system and 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 he's he's uh, they even end it with by the way we invite listeners or, or viewers of the program if they'd like to visit uh friendster you can log on to the website blah 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 friendster.com but please don't touch anything we're still working on piecing together you know and it's a joke but there's a lot of truth no, to it yeah definitely. <laughs> i was on friendster you know and, and now it is archaeology like what I don't know. What happened to my account? What did I put on there? I don't remember. So uh, friends uh, got kicked out of town by MySpace, got kicked out of yes. town by, by Facebook. Facebook. And history ended there. Which kid got <laughs> soon as, very soon, uh, or at the moment, temporarily threatened by Google+. <laughs> um, oh, wow, yes. And Ello. Don't forget Ello. <laughs> what else we have? Yeah, man. There used to be cool maps in around 2010, even before 2010, of pockets in the world where some social media still lives on, the, the smaller. One of them, Friendster, still lived in like the Philippines. <laughs> and um, Brazil, which was no, nothing to, to you know, uh, talk small about. It was huge. They had um, one of these, Google bought it. It was, um, uh, it was like a marketplace called Ortho, something with an O. Um, um, no, that's Ubuntu. <laughs> Brazilian. Yes. MySpace? Yeah, yeah. It was. It wasn't MySpace, right? It was something else. But it doesn't matter. Google bought it, and never mind all that, because what's happened is, with the exception of very few, including Russia, is an exception. Um, Facebook took over. You don't may not remember, but in the Netherlands, we had uh, Hives. Hives. Mm-hmm. Every teenager was on Hives. Every call. Everyone. And then slowly but surely, Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. Hives yeah. now is is dead. It's uh, gone. Um, the Russians are holding out with V Contaxia, which looks exactly like Facebook, and people are so dedicated to. Yeah, there's uh, a German copycat as well. Yeah. What's that called? Uh, Studi VZ. 
Uh, yeah, I know that name. No, it looks like Facebook just in red. Oh, that's the rocket internet people you were right, talking right, about. Right, right. Um, what was that called? Um, I don't know. I, if we start searching now, it's... You know, it's uh, Orkut. Orkut is what it was called. Rings well. Which I don't think was supposed to be a social network. I think it was a marketplace, but it became like social network. Oh, speaking of pockets or regional uh, social networks of the early days, I remember going to uh, Mobile World Congress, um, big uh, mobile com- uh, conference, biggest in the world, I think. Mm-hmm. It used to be called 3GSM. Or oh, GSM. Yeah. GSM. Yeah. GSM. Yeah, never mind. Um, and there was one booth that handed out free beer. Extremely popular. <laughs> and what? nobody knew that company. And it, so I asked the ladies behind the bar with very tight dresses. So what is this thing? Oh, it's, it's huge in France. It's the biggest social network in France. <laughs> all right. Try to remember the name. Never remember the name. Maybe because of all the free beer. But um, High was fire, some crap. Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, I opened up the Orkut uh, Wikipedia page, and it um, in India and Brazil, 2008, it was one of the most visited websites. Uh, dissolved 2014. <laughs> so you know, it takes about six years, and then you're, you're done. You're done. Yeah. I think but probably because of Google Plus, they want. Yeah, yeah. Bloggers and Google Plus. That's also an interesting development because if new communities, technologies, apps emerge they quickly disappear because they get get sucked up by the by the big gun by the big players and um, so they don't get to live their up to their full potential Mm. often Mm. Uh, that's very interesting interestingly google in their case maybe being a little more visionary and having lots of extra money to throw around they have an archive where you can go dig through the old websites kind of like a archaeological site that Which could be a, amazing. A, a fun pastime activity, doing some internet. Amazing. It's it's in alphabetical tours. order. <laughs> Hundreds of thousands of sites. Oh man, I don't know if I want to look through this. Okay, uh, let's do yeah. now and record it. Yeah, I don't know why it went this way. I think I think it's just because I'm I'm fascinated by how fast things pass, but also how much is lost in in you know Facebook being an easy target. You write something poignant, funny. Well-liked, well whatever. And it's gone within a day or two, and definitely in a week it's gone, gone. Facebook is trying to bring that back now with them. You have a memory uh, today. And, yeah, that's oh, true. Oh, I posted a picture. And sometimes it brings back good memories, but sometimes I have no idea what I was trying to say by... It's a screenshot of directions. <laughs> or, yeah, <laughs> or, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, is that a quote from a song or drawn... Facebooking, uh, it doesn't make any sense. I think Facebook doesn't really know what to do either. Uh, as much as we always think they know. Because that was, by the way, in the days of podcasting, especially video blogging. Video bloggers, I used to go to a lot of events uh, in Europe, for the vloggers, vlog Europe. And one of the old questions that was never really properly answered is, we did all this good work in the past. We have a video, it's from 2005, it's about a subject that's still relevant. But... We've done videos since then. It's fallen in terms of the website. Now, what do we do? What do we do to make old material relevant again? Lots of media have different strategies for this. One is if you design the website, then you're going to put a little section that shows 
one year ago today, or or you just have it shuffle in. But still, if it has a date on it, people are going to be like, oh, this is old. Mm. You know, they might detect that it's old and not want to, to see it. Or it's, it's also a matter of society not valuing on the internet that which is old. Uh, so um, it was always a question, what could we do to get people to see and be open to old stuff? So if Facebook starts doing the, you know, five years ago today, it's a very small attempt at bringing the past making it relevant to the present. It's not a bad attempt, uh, but I don't think it's much in terms of innovation. I think we still really don't know if there's something we, we can or even should do about the fact that we, we just move on. We move on all the time. You know, Paris, these uh, attacks are such a huge topic right now. How long do you think before they're not a huge topic? No. Not that long. <laughs> uh, some people will remember, of course, but in the, in the mass memory, <laughs> it's, it's going to be one of many. Right? Completely. Um, People don't remember the attacks, and I can't even label them all, in, during the war with Algeria. And there were many uh, involving civilians and government buildings and many. But no, you know, some people weren't around then, and others don't have access to the media. It's an old story. So, yeah, I think it's one of our problems generally is, I don't know if it's as humans, but as modern humans. Like, because there is too many yeah. media influences. Not uh, media, I mean just content. Uh, maybe traditional media or uh, just yeah, the, the Facebook feed or your the YouTube channel that you subscribe <laughs> to. You're, you're constantly wired and fed stimuli, and your brain has to get rid of most of that shit because otherwise you're <laughs> you can't exposed. live so, yeah uh, yeah i had explode yeah <laughs> zeros and ones pop out of your ears and noses um so th this this is why information has a very short shelf life these days mm. and uh, the attention span is constantly decreasing yeah so 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 my attention span is still bouncing around here um I told you that I'd met Jared Lanier and he'd written these books and, and mm. he's an interesting guy and, and it has a great perspective on the internet in my opinion because he was sort of in, in, I can't even explain to you how, but he was one of the architects of how it would work or at least one of the first observers and users and, and critics of it in the olden days and he's disappointed uh, to summarize. I mean, he would probably say it's not that easy, <laughs> but he's, he thinks that, you know, there's a lack of creativity. There's a lack websites pretty much at least... Yeah, the last few years, they pretty much look the same way. Social media, whatever it is, it kind of looks the same way. There's the feed and we repeat. Or you create something new, but it looks like the old thing. It has a news feed. You know, it has... And he, he wishes for more boldness on the internet to design a page or a, that just doesn't look like anything else. The, the, you know, why should the buttons be on the top or on the left? You know, do something different. No buttons. No mess with the program. Dare, right, to be creative. He talks a lot about MIDI MIDI music, and that's a story that I can't even tell properly about how MIDI only had a certain amount of notes, and, and that's what everything was made with these few notes, and actually it was such a limiting system, um, although we find it kind of hip and charming, oh, yeah, MIDI charming. stuff. Um, so he, he's an interesting case. He talks about things like the idea of data and that information wants to be free and you know the way we use the internet, giving a little bit of our email address so that we can have access to all these other things. He believes that a fundamental shift needs to happen. I don't know if he believes it's inevitable, but he gets close to saying things like that. And he says, you know, 
if the internet's really going to survive and survive well, then we have to get to a point where Facebook will actually pay people. If you want, you know, you want my name and address, that's worth X amount. Hmm. Uh, you want me to write daily posts, that's worth X amount. And he believes in this, that it would be a better world, a better internet, if there was this fair exchange for, where you actually get, um, uh, for what you give, for what you input as a user. So it's sort of an end to this, some people call it sharing economy or free economy, you know. In a way, it's sort of a challenge to the whole Wikipedia thing, but... Um, the idea that we need to get to a point where things are given the value that they deserve to have. So if your name and address are worth money to Facebook, then let them be worth money directly to you, the person who gives it forward. Uh, No, exactly. So in that sense, he's, um, uh, and I'm nowhere as experienced or or wise as him, so it's maybe worthless, but I find that he's very optimistic or at least radical in what he thinks is possible. uh, And I have far less... Hope, or that I love because I think we tend to be uh, very skeptical about innovation yeah. and the future. People won't do that. <laughs> it's very uh, refreshing to see people that see at least a glimpse of hope in, in something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not True. completely pessimistic about the future, but uh, sometimes hard but that has always been the case uh, some of my favorite sci-fi novels from the 50s and 60s they are all this utopian technology yeah. is always a bad thing <laughs> and uh, there's a fair point we mm-hmm. see that happening I mean the WikiLeaks and Snowden and uh, mm-hmm. whatever cables that uh, mm-hmm. made it out to the world made us realize that, that we are in this totalitarianism a little bit too harsh but that yeah. uh, that we live in a world where we are under surveillance mm-hmm. uh, oh mm-hmm. you have nothing to hide yeah fair mm-hmm. enough but still doesn't matter um, <laughs> apparently that, that, that's, yeah doesn't matter you have nothing to hide you're, you're definitely being surveilled um yeah yes yeah um, dystopianism but yeah maybe and then I love people talking about the internet being that the first step to a higher conscience ooh uh, and there's a nice philosophical point to that too. I mean, we just feed into it, and we get. We, uh, France is an example, maybe not a good one about uh, Paris. I mean, mm-hmm. um, uh, you you feel and transport emotions across uh, the tubes of the internet in a way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, some someone posting a picture makes me feel something, or someone expressing their thoughts uh, touches other people, and uh, that's very interesting. Uh, do do your future voice where you explain why we keep mentioning Paris briefly for the future people. Lessons of the future. Uh, there was a very terrible terrorist attack, and I feel very bad for sounding ironic now. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah. But it's true. I mean, years and years from now, people will not understand why we keep mentioning Paris, potentially, unless we explain what the date is. So it's 2015, and it's November 13. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Big attack. Uh, yeah. So, anyway, I think. Like, uh, <laughs> sorry to make, you know, these little. These are like the little asterisks or the footnotes on what we're doing here. Like, it would be interesting yeah. to have a bonus podcast, the enhanced version. Vocabulary <laughs> words. Oh. What? Director's cut. Yes. No, not director's cut. Director's yeah, yeah. commentary. Of a podcast. We recorded another, another podcast where we 
listen to the podcast. Oh, <laughs> oh I remember this bit, Mark. This is when you picked your nose and I started to giggle. You you can't really hear it, but uh, there's a slight vibration nowhere. Future Mark, is that you? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, that's, well, depending on where you listen. To. <laughs> When is this happening? <laughs> uh, I'm so sorry. Uh, to I just have to explain to the to the current listeners of the present <laughs> that Mark is a podcast professional and he is really good at trying to keep this year together and not lose his points that he made a half an hour ago when I come up with my fart jokes and crap people and stuff like that uh, so I'm throwing off tremendously this could have been a really good podcast hadn't I been on the show uh, I, I didn't know you were going to say that hadn't I been on the show part but I think it, it probably still was a pretty good podcast it's uh, awesome man that's good enough stop offending me <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think some people can't always follow what's going on in this room but if we're any good at this which we do then we can bring them along a little or a lot I don't know so my three listeners I used to I don't know <sighs> Hello, you three. Um, yeah. Hi, Mom. She doesn't yeah. believe me. Oh, she listens anyway. Yeah. That's a wonderful thing. That's an important thing, actually. Uh, if you can have that, family members listening, it's, yeah, it's good. It's a good thing. But, uh, but not to be mistaken with that whole thing when you... I hope this has stopped because I, I haven't worked in an office in a while, but... Um, have I? No. Uh, I used <laughs> to work in offices where they would say, Okay, we, we wrote this article or we produced this thing and it's now on the internet. Share it in your networks. Individual workers. It has stopped a little bit. But oh. People do it anyway. I mean, people share it because they're just used to it. I, think. I mean, like, listen, if you're going to be any good out there in the world, you need to be able to share it, be found, without me having to involve my mom, my friends. It should live far beyond that. Actually, that's part of my sometimes concern as a podcaster, but it's a, both a good thing and a sometimes not a good thing in my mind, that I have so many listeners that are actually my friends from real life and family members also, but a lot of friends. And um, that sometimes is a, most often is a wonderful thing, but sometimes it's a worry because it's like, oh wait, are you all listening to me because you're just pitying me or you want to kind of support me? Because I would like to appeal to people without the need for, you know, that connection. Like, oh, just because I'm a family member. When we did, me and Chris, when we, we did a Kickstarter campaign to do that, our, our podcast projects in North Africa, and then I did one for, for Dubai, right? And it was always a concern. I think anybody that does a Kickstarter project should think about it. You don't have to lose sleep over it. But when uh, a majority of your supporters are either friends or family, that, make, sorry, that makes me worry, right? Because I don't want to need or to have to rely on friends and family, yeah, I, I would rather that my idea, <laughs> dreaming here, that my idea resonate with strangers or those that are interested in similar topic. So it's always a concern. Like, oh man, it's, I know that guy, I know that guy, I know that guy, that's my mom. And you'd, I, I'd much rather see like, oh, I'm interested in this topic or I know your work or, but when it's all family and friends, there's something in me anyway that doesn't feel right. It's like, oh, I didn't want it to go this way. Like, I don't want to see that. And uh, when I worked on my own, I did have some of that going on. I was like, oh, too many people I know. Too many people. Then again, maybe I have a giant network. I don't know. Were you going to make fun of me? Go ahead. <laughs> I was offering to give me back the money that I gave. No. And then, and therein, as soon as I say that, by the way, as soon as I say that, Beautiful things do happen, um, right down to, 
uh, yes, my friend Martin and <laughs> supporting my, my, my work. But even on the Frisbee field, I play Ultimate Frisbee. And it, has it happened lately? I don't know. But definitely last year and over the years, I'm out on the field. I'm playing a team, maybe another team from the Netherlands, maybe a team from Amsterdam it's possible, or even international. And someone will, uh, in between plays, go, hey, you're, uh, sometimes they'll use the old name, hey, you're a bicycle marker. Hey, you do the podcasts. And it's like, oh, it's like, yeah, yeah, no, actually, I've played against you before, and I kind of knew, like, I'd heard. So sometimes you do find that, yeah, okay, they know me from real life, but it's the work that they actually like, and well, it's just a coincidence that they know me in real life, you know, it's not a, not a coincidence, but it's it's not, it's not a knock against, it. Not, it's not pity, it's not uh, support, it's not hope, what do you call that, I don't know. Uh, it's an interesting point, I never thought charity? about that, because it's pretty much, <laughs> if it wouldn't be on a internet platform the equivalent would be you going to your friends with a hat and that dude I really want to do this project could you just <laughs> right right when it's on Kickstarter it's a little less yeah but it's still this yeah it's, yeah I see yeah. Where, it, where you're coming from yeah. uh, I never thought about that yeah and so and that starts with the whole thing of companies or, or organizations going we made this thing uh, you know I'm talking about a stat, hopefully somewhat established organizations with staff and Plans, I don't know. And they say to you, hey, Plans or plans? Both. Right. you got to have plans in the office and plans for the company. Mm -hmm. um, but they say to you, hey, we could really use you sharing it amongst your friends. And it's like, but this is work. So <laughs> That's that line. What was your target group again? Yeah. Who do you want to Mark's make? Mark's friends and care. family. We just wanted to be out there. Yeah. What likes. Yeah. I used to have a boss at this office job that would get mad if I had a podcast that was relatively popular, if I had an interesting guest, if I wrote something, and back in the day I would write stuff for The Guardian sometimes, he would get mad. He'd say, how come you didn't mention the company? How come you didn't oh. mention what you're doing in this office? And, oh man, and I just, it was separate. It was separate. He wasn't paying me for what I was doing, and I, it was a job. It wasn't my passion. It wasn't my project. Preposterous. No, it was seriously, fun. that's just weird. Like, come on, give me some of you a Influence. Yeah. You couldn't put in a plug for us, and that would make me want to do it even less. Of course. <laughs> like, Why would you? Yeah. Yes, yes. Well, you know, dysfunctional bosses, they have had television shows about them. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. Fair point. So. And he would tell lots of jokes and hope that the whole office would laugh and the whole thing. He might have been Ricky Gervais. Yeah. <laughs> Off topic. No, on topic. Um, they, he just started shooting, the, they're doing a movie about the, the boss. Oh. Him trying to make it in the music world. Okay. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. His songs, right. He used the money that he made from the television show. <laughs> because he got some salary, I guess. Yes. And used the fame that he enjoyed from that documentary. Right. Um, this is the character. It's, right? it's so yeah. meta in so many ways. So he's trying to make it in... in uh, he tries to capitalize on, on his fame. I remember a few yeah, of the videos of his music, like, there was one about, like, races getting along, and it was just, that's not good. The Christmas special they had, they, they start with a video that he also produced from the money that he made, and it's, uh, oh, it's a cover version. Yeah. We gotta go find it, Very people. Cheesy. Ricky Gervais, and projects. And he, uh, <laughs> it starts off with him holding a white dove in. Hand, <laughs> releasing it in slow motion and 
There he is. Oh, right, right. <laughs> Sorry, how did we end up here? Bad bosses. Oh, uh, yeah. Bad attention. bosses. Attention. attention. Social media. They gotta do the sharing. Please, people, please, please. Yeah, people don't give a fuck about target groups. <laughs> they just figure if it's out there, if people click on it, uh, my message will be forever in people's brains. Or at least for the next week until we move on to the next project where I'll lead you to share again. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I wonder if I listen to things like this, like, I listen to my own podcast, but I don't usually speak my mind for a really long time. I wonder if I actually like the person that I hear. <laughs> like, oh, that guy's kind of a dick. Or that guy's kind of, I don't know what he's talking about. I'll have to do that. I'll have to listen back and see what I think of me today. Old you from 10 years ago? No, this now, today, even. Especially as you start to judge and you speak about what you judge. Like, I think it, you take a risk, right? You take a risk. You're judging. You're, you're, you're... Mm, yes. Maybe I'm just full of myself, but um, even though I'm aware that it's just rambling and rambling, <laughs> I, uh, I enjoy it. I, you think I, you're I, fair? You think you're a fair judge? That's what I want to be, right? I want to be judgy. a fair. I think the only thing I... Uh, I have. <laughs> no, I don't think... No, no. It's mostly to praise things. Mostly to praise things. But every now and then to go, hey, you know, that's bullshit. I think that's bullshit. You may not. That's key. Hmm. Because that's another thing. All this stuff is so much a matter of opinion. And, uh, yeah. That's why podcasting has so much potential, right? There's so many opinions out there. You may find someone. It's just being found. There we come back to that thing. So, yeah. I don't know. I will continue to podcast. Oh, yeah. I hope so. Uh, do you have any plans for the future? Is there any plans for the future? Um, I have... Before you answer that, uh, 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 the question that will lead to that question. Have you... Do you feel that you have done improvements or changes over the years mm. that make that has brought your podcast in a different direction? Mm -hmm. Things that have failed, things that have worked. Failed, yeah. uh, the fail, we'll come back to that in a second. I don't want to lead with it. But um, <laughs> things that have improved or, or sound better is I've learned a lot about sound. I used to laugh and criticize anyone who obsessed too much about sound. And rightfully so, you shouldn't obsess too much about equipment. So if your setup is simple, there is something important and beautiful about that um, that you may never regain once you start upgrading. Um, we're sitting here recording on a, a condenser mic on a stand that has a cable. It goes into a recorder. That recorder is fairly large. When I go through airports, I have to show it separately. When I put it, more importantly, when I put it in front of someone, the air in the room changes, right? That's not good. There's a drawback to that. Now, on the upside, it sounds pretty good. It sounds much better than of course, the yeah. way I used to do things. Part of the reason I started doing that was not just my own standards, but also... Yeah, here I got to get into German culture for a second. Right. Here I am doing a lot of work in within or in the context of German uh, podcasting. German podcasters are people who have helped me so much along the way, not just with getting me exposure, but also with advice. And they're not the only ones, surely, but in Germany, when it comes to podcasting, I'm sure there are exceptions, there is a desire to have quality. There's a, perhaps from the tradition of radio even, um, so in the conversations I have with my podcasting friends, maybe I have the wrong friends in this department or the right friends, uh, they demand a certain quality. So when they see your equipment, they're checking to see, 
Well, is that the best sound that you can get for your... Now, money is understood. Money might be a limit, so okay. And, and a weight, weight matters. But still, you want that perfect setup. And some of my best friends in podcasting, uh, who are in the German context, they spend a good amount of money that they do or don't have. They spend a good amount of time worrying about the setup. They also spend time on the format, but maybe not as much. You get obsessed about the equipment. I've been influenced by that. Um, so now I use a higher quality of equipment. And and here I think Christopher Leiden in the U.S. context and the public radio tradition influenced me. I spend more time thinking about editing, which I used to laugh at. And I think there was a beauty in that modern art kind of way. Or not modern art, just this is different. We do not polish here. If you can't handle it, don't listen. And if you can, then you're going to enjoy this ride because it's different. So I used to say no editing. For, also because of the time that it would take was ridiculous, right? I'm not getting paid. Um, now, for example, I'm working with Wikimedia in Germany. And I even asked them in the beginning, do you want this highly edited? Do you want me to take out rambling? Uh, and we compared it. I did some programs where I let the rambling be. And I did some programs without the rambling. And they wanted without the rambling. And I see the value in that. And look, they're funding me. We work together. So I got to compromise. And I kind of like the compromise. In fact, I like what comes out. So all of a sudden, and I say Christopher Leiden had an influence because he also is a believer in find the good section in this conversation. He would listen to this, I don't know, two hours. And he would say, he would say, I like the 30 minutes. I found 30 minutes in it and it's all in pieces. Let's put it together. And old Mark would say, you're changing the words. You're changing the meaning. And I still worry about that. But new Mark, or whatever version of Mark I am, I now say, well, you know what? Okay, I don't want to change somebody's words, but I also could make them sharper, make them... Actually, I can hear what they're trying to say. Matter of fact, they say it. But I can cut out the other stuff that might distract somebody from the goal, from the point. Um, especially recording... A, not you, you're, you're a wonderful speaker, but if I speak to a lot of people who... English is not their native language. I can help them out by cutting out some of the searching for words or whatever. So it's a favor almost to my guests. It increases their... Because I do think that they are very valuable and just some people have trouble because you're listening. So I have become much more of a stickler. That's a good word. Stickler. Vocabulary. For um, editing, time that I take to produce something takes me a lot longer than it used to. At least the, the editing part. I can produce fast. But, um, and, um, and I'm pickier about when it's time to talk. Uh, I was hanging out with a documentary maker, also a video blogger, a friend of mine in the, in, in the Netherlands, uh, Michael Schap. Hilarious guy. He's on one of my latest Citizen Reporters in the second half. Uh, he's criticizing my friends who sell things secondhand, and he's so funny. And he makes documentaries that are, I think, some of the greatest in the world right now. I don't watch enough documentaries, but, and they're all in Dutch, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, and... You know, we were having this talk, and he's, he's saying, oh, I'm trying to interview gypsies uh, or gypsy camps. There's a lot of different kinds of gypsies in the Netherlands that nobody knows about, and they're huge, these communities. They're very dangerous. Uh, they're involved in some very um, under-the-table, usually the whole where all the ecstasy comes from and all that stuff. Anyway, it's a long story, mm -hmm. but he was... Let me see, can I say this? Well, look, he was talking about a story where... Um, he had sources. He always has sources for his documentaries. And something went wrong. And one of his people, his sources that he was going to interview, um, canceled the plan, right? And he said, the words that he said reminded me of kind of what I'm moving towards. He said, well, 
I've been <laughs> working on this person for a year now. And what does working on mean? It means meeting, talking, regular conversations, getting comfortable, getting to know each other. All of this before the interview ever happens. For podcasting, and I still have to sometimes, I meet you and the first time we meet or the second time we meet, it's a podcast. Now, hopefully we know each other. That's much more fun. But um, I have a lot more respect for the process now. And it's hard to do because you're not getting always paid. I mean, for, for Wikimedia, I do get paid. So there I can try it. But I want to more have these meets before we ever talk for a podcast. That's old school. You know, that's what a lot of that's a requirement for a lot of journalists, documentary mm -hmm. makers. I see that as having more value than I ever did before. It's a big wish, though. It's a big demand um, to say, well, sorry, I got to meet you three times before we're going to record. So I don't quite know how to totally incorporate that into my workflow. I have a number of people in my life, and, and I know you do too, who I find fantastically interesting and I have not asked for an interview. I don't know if they know that I would want one. I don't want to, I also don't want to like trivialize the relationship. It's not all about the interview, right? You and I are not friends so that we could do a podcast uh, for 15 years later. Um, so I also don't want to trivialize it. Even though it is on my mind, unfortunately, I'm too much of a, of a interviewer. I like a lot of the people who I get to meet. And I don't want to, to, to cheapen it by saying, can we record now? Can we record now? Um, and, and let me do... Uh, I think there's no way that this doesn't sound douchey, but I'll, I'll do it anyway. Um, I had a lot of, I had a few interactions with Julian Assange in the old days. This is, this is 2006, five. WikiLeaks existed. It was, the biggest thing they had done was um, a couple of banks, Swiss banks that were, I don't even remember what the Swiss banks were doing. They were doing bad I think things. It was uh, aiding uh, tax frauds in other countries. Or... And even, I think a Swiss court tried to stop them, or some court tried. Anyway, I did a, I did a video, a screencast where I um, showed WikiLeaks. I used to try, I wanted to do more video. And a little voiceover, I said how it works and how it could be interesting for journalists. And all that. I don't know, I imagine lots of people were starting to do things like this. Um, and then sure enough, at the, at the hacker congresses, uh, Julian and Daniel, uh, who were then at the head of this, were showing up to try and ask the community for support with, I don't know, servers, volunteers, use it. They were asking people to use it. And Julian, I was a speaker, he was a speaker, so that's always a nice connection. And he would, uh, his words to me were always something like, you know, we might be useful for you. You might be able to use us. He had a very high opinion, in fact, of what I am, in fact, not doing. You know, I don't have sources with, with uh, important information in terms of secrets and so forth. If I did, I know where to go, but I, I didn't. I'm not that kind of guy. You didn't criticize your microphone, I hope. <clears throat> no. <laughs> so, so um, I was not... I, first of all, I didn't know what was going to happen, obviously. But I knew that they were, they were significant. You know, it was interesting. I thought, you know, ah. anyway. I felt lucky to speak, to get to exchange ideas with the man. He would ask me, and, and this, so a year later we'd meet again at Hacker Camp in, in the Netherlands this time. And he's hanging, I remember, WikiLeaks t-shirts. No idea where my WikiLeaks t-shirt is, but mm -hmm. he handed me one and he said, you know, thanks for all your support. And people were donating. And I didn't. <laughs> I didn't even give money, actually. Daniel complained. I'll never forget. Daniel said to him, but he didn't give any money. And, uh, and Julian turned to him, and I, don't, I swear I'm not making this up, but he said, yeah, but he's helped us. He made that video. He's done a lot for us, and he just handed me a t-shirt. I read Daniel's book. He seems to be a very cranky character. I saw, him, <laughs> I saw him a month ago for the first time in a while. I thought 
that he would completely ignore me, and he stopped and he said hello. I was impressed. He's like, Bicycle Mark. And I was like, wow. I don't, I don't know why you remember me. No, I really enjoyed the book. Yeah? Yeah, I thought it was funny. It was an interesting perspective, but he could tell that um, I should read another word. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, let's say if Julian had published a book, uh, then you can, the truth would be somewhere in the middle. In the middle. That was, That's a good point. It was yeah. very obvious. His wife, by the way, Daniel, uh, does some of the biggest organizing for uh, refugees or new arrivals in Germany right now, and in Europe, in fact. It's amazing. She's been involved with okay. the Green Party, I think you're right. I think you're right. All right, there's that sidetrack. Why do I bring this thing up? It is a, a sort of name-dropping, and, and apologize for that, because, look, I never... Nothing happened. You know, we, we met, we talked. That, to me, is something. And we always exchanged... What are you working on? That was always the question. What are you working on? What am I working on? And I would recommend friends' work, journalists that I had met in New York and worked with. Uh, I remember a friend of mine was working on Fiji and Fiji water because Americans, and not only, but they were buying a lot of Fiji water. It was so cool, this bottle, you know, with the aquarium or whatever. And my friend Anna, uh, she goes, she has had different names, but she's, she's Anna Lenzer. Anna Lenzer would write... Um, she was based in Fiji for a while there because she was really worried about this issue because the Fijian government was a, a junta. They had kicked out whatever democratically elected person and they were running a, a scary ship in terms of country. And so Anna went there to report about Fiji water, how it's gotten, how it gets to the U.S., why does it cost so much, what is this company really doing? And they, wor they weren't doing hardly any of what they claimed to be doing for the earth, for the country. It was crap. So she was writing these stories at great risk, actually. The Fijian government um, arrested her for no reason, you know, for, and threatened her and held her for a while, and it was a little scary. And I told Julian about this, I'll never forget. And he was like, I, I want to know more. Send me, uh, send me those, email me with this information. I would email him. And uh, years and years later, I saw Anna, I talked to Anna all the time. She might even hear this. And uh, I said to Anna, you know, Julian Assange likes your work. <laughs> of course, if I had said that at the time, in 2008 or whatever it was, she wouldn't have jumped. Who's that, right? But I told her this in like 2010, and she was like, what? No way. Mm -hmm. So I sent her copies of the emails. Oh, really cool. <laughs> She's like, I might show some friends. I was like, Look, <laughs> I don't know, you know. Friendly, so, friendly, friendly <laughs> there's a danger here, right, with putting people on pedestals. These are not gods. These are not... But, you know, it's funny where they go in terms of the world. Significant yeah. personalities, absolutely. But I never asked the man for an interview. And right. I don't deserve any credit or anything for that shit. But it was because this was a genuine friendship. Well, let's not exaggerate. But these, we were... He treated me like a colleague, which was more than I believe I deserved as a journalist. Because I'm not much of a journalist. I'm more of an interviewer, more of a... I don't know what I mean. But, but he was on a different level, right? And I was kind of honored that he gave a crap. Um, so I never asked for an interview and I didn't know that there would be no more opportunities, you know, or maybe there will be, who knows, but I don't even want to anymore. You know, it's changed. Everything has changed. He has changed surely. And the world has changed the relationship between how I can talk, if I can talk to him, if he would even remember me, who knows? So there are all these people, maybe that's the biggest case I can ever give you, but in my life that are interesting, that... I would love to share with the world that would probably get me more listeners, but I don't do it yet or maybe ever because I enjoy actually the conversations we don't record. Um, 
it's a really tough thing, I think, like, if you say that I'm a podcaster and that's my passion, then how do you ever have a regular conversation that you like? Because you want to share it all the time. So I've been working the last few years or I've had this, I don't know if I'm working on it or it just came to me where I'm more greedy and I'm like, you know what, that one's not to share. I'm not taking out the mic here, even though I might still have that little itch to do it. Um, and the only bummer about this is I do still like to capture moments. Uh, so I'm missing out on that a bit. That's why when you tell me that you you bring a, a recorder out to a cafe on the street to talk with a friend, um, it's exciting. It, it brings me back to what I loved. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that's very uh, interesting that you bring it back to, uh, to, to your days now. Uh, um, uh, because listening to you now was a bit eerie. Because I'm you've been doing this for so many years and I actually was intending to give you credits uh, right at the beginning two or three hours ago uh, <laughs> without you I <clears throat> wouldn't have entered that world of podcasting or not that early and <laughs> it's very funny uh, right right away when I felt that sense of community I wanted to become a podcaster but I never took that step it always it was always this something that hold, hold me back I might, it might have been the technology or whatever um, now 10 odd years later <laughs> I'm finally doing it you are and I'm at the point where you were a decade ago yeah. which is the funnest time and it's amazing I love it I'm completely aware of the low quality of all this mm -hmm. and how insignificant it is in the ocean of uh, podcasts and whatever content is flying around on the internet But more or less consciously, I've been asking myself some of the questions that you've raised. Um, should I invest in more equipment? Mm -hmm. Should I put more effort in editing? Mm -hmm. um, when and when to talk to people? How to talk to people? Yeah. And the answer to all these questions so far is no. <laughs> I was gonna say I thought you'd say probably, but <laughs> no. But I'm aware that it might be that, yeah, as yeah, you said, yeah. once you once you. Take a step up on the on the production level. You it will be hard to get back because you raise expectations from your audience and just deciding it would be like Bob Dylan all of a sudden going electric. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and then not even. Then, yeah. um, I, I, I I'm enjoying this so much. <laughs> I, I I think it's super fascinating, but I'm a little bit scared of. What's ahead of me? If if I, if I start to second guess some of the decisions I've made now, and will end up turning this into a bigger thing, and then maybe um, crumble under the pressure and realize this, I, I, I because this is easy. Yeah. Um, the yeah. equipment that we're yeah. having in front of us now, your equipment, is super. Um, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm I'm very looking forward to listening to the product. At the same time, I have my little uh, plastic mm -hmm. piece of. Shit! Yeah. <laughs> re recording good. all of it. Um, yeah. Uh, so, but I, but I would like to hear that you sort of look back at, at your, your early days and feel nostalgia. Oh yeah. Oh, and I think there's a connection here to. Let me try this. To life. You were a student. We were student. We were happy students. You and I. We we. Mm -hmm. What do we? What was our priority? Oh, we weren't always happy. Fair no, enough. No, fair I, enough. No. Rose-colored glasses, but we had a lot of joy, right? And oh, what? Yeah. What made us happy? You know. Uh, chocolate, 
Um, yeah, parties, although not the way people might think in terms of partying, but we liked to know that we could go to a party and then go from one to the other and, and the random things that would happen there. You know, Watch movies about parties. Yes, <laughs> watch movies about parties is one of the best things, right, if you think about it. Um, so, you know, then years go by, right, and then you, you, you get stuff, right, and stuff becomes more important. And I recently got my first, um, yes, it is my first TV I didn't want a TV. I just wanted a screen, right? That's what we all want. We just, it's, it shouldn't have been called a TV. It's a screen. I got my first screen in my house. I have never paid so much for a screen in my life. It's not crazy amount. It's, it's double what I pay for a computer monitor. And it never mattered to me uh, having one or not having one. The only thing that was missing was, you know, I wanted people to be able to come over and watch with me. And it was always like a computer monitor. Or So now I have a screen. Now, thankfully, my house is generally not at risk of flooding or fire, fire low risk. So, but it's one more thing in my life that complicates matters. Now I want to make sure everything works on the screen. Now I can streamline that process, but man, if life wasn't much more fun when I didn't have to worry about the screen. Now it, it brings benefits. Things look great. When it's all working, it's fun. But it's the stuff that we amass, the complications that we build. Again, um, <laughs> you might... Uh, in, in reverse, you might uh, sugarcoat it a little bit. True. Because I remember... Um, the days where here in Stockholm where I was just moving apartments constantly and I hated buying stuff because I knew that I had to move into the next apartment. Yeah. So buying a new spatula was a big decision. Yeah. Oh shit, another <laughs> spatula. It's, just <laughs> it's going to be in a box. It's going to be in a box. Then I finally moved into this apartment which, uh, uh, which I knew would be a steady place. And I had to buy stuff because I didn't have anything. I had to buy a couch, a kitchen table. Right. While I was at it, I bought a TV. And it, I didn't enjoy it. I was I, My first reaction was, oh, great, I finally get a couch. Right. But then, like, but what if I have to move again? <laughs> yeah. Look, maybe I've done a little bit apples and oranges. I don't know. I think you're telling me you see some of the, the connections here with with complicating your process or the, the human thing of wanting more or I don't know, priorities changing. That's another thing, right? So, so I'm definitely more of a, um, I used to not sleep if the podcast wasn't finished. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't sleep. There's always something else to do, always something else to record. Um, sleeping was the last thing I would do. Now, one, I'm more tired than I used to be. Although, the other is I now live with someone I've lived with someone for a little while now and I like it and it's caused me to change how I work but it's a welcome change Mm. Uh, do I miss the old days of being the most dedicated podcaster that you could absolutely rely on in terms of Citizen Reporter a little bit I feel a little bit of sadness that I'm not as consistent with that on the other hand the work that I do for others the podcast that I do for Wikimedia I am consistent I I, I still put in 110% so uh, Priorities have changed. That's the weird part. Part of that is like realizing what you get from your, whatever it is that you need as a human, like, I don't know, love and fulfillment and the key stuff. Where, where do you get that? Oh, lots of different places, right? Um, but what I start to realize, I used to look to the internet to give me a lot of that. Besides the stuff that your family gives you, I have a nice family. Um, but like, I look to the internet for so much of my self-worth, um, you know, if, if people said my podcast was good, then I felt good about myself. I had a mission. I had a purpose. Otherwise, I'd be lost. What's changed with age is I realize 
that is not all I'm I am. I'm much more than that. And if I need evidence, well, I don't know. I got somebody at home that reminds me of that, but it's it's much more it's in person, it's real. And not just that, you know, it's the offline friends that matter a lot, a lot. Um, the online friends still matter a whole lot too. And like I said, those two, that line has gotten fuzzy anyway, thankfully. But it's, I got to tell you, you don't make, just like you, maybe you don't make the quality of friends that you made when you were in college. Um, I do not make, I don't think, well, the quality of friends that I made when we were podcasting and the community was in touch with one another. Is that right? Am I going too far? Well, no, it just know. doesn't feel the same. It just doesn't feel quite the same. So I think aging has an effect on all this and priorities change. And for me, sometimes it's a pity, but for the most part, it's fine. Life could not have continued exactly how it was. And, and the podcast is a sort of chronicling of a life, if anything. Uh, that's the beauty of, of Yeast Radio. It is a chronicle of this life of the person playing Madge Weinstein. Um, and Madge herself as an imaginary real character. Um, so that part is still very fun. And that's the great part of people who didn't go away. You get to watch life change. And it can get boring, it can get exciting, it can get painful, but you get to follow along. And uh, anyway, I, I strayed a little. Um, I'm into offline life more than I was um, in all kinds of ways. So that's changed. Um, the original question was my my future projects right. and also like if I've changed the way I work. Uh, so I, I've basically given you that. Like that, I take a lot longer. I think a lot more about what I do before I do it. Sometimes it's a pity. Mm. Um, you know, it's a beautiful thing to just act and just hit record. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, dare to ask somebody for an interview, even though it might be embarrassing. I've gotten, I got a lot more pride than I used to have. Um, depending. Because when Wikimedia needs something from me and they expect quality from me, then that's a little extra pressure where I'm willing to go up to someone and maybe I feel embarrassed because it's the wrong time, but I'll take the risk. I'm always measuring that. But I have a lot more pride than I used to. I'm, I'm, uh, I'll give you a story related to this. Um, the godfather, or whatever name you want to have for it, for free software, uh, Richard Stallman, RMS, he's often called. Now, I'm not a programmer, but I have a lot of friends who are programmers, so I have a lack of not full understanding of what free software and G, GNU, I'm even pronouncing it wrong, he would be so upset with me. Um, and here in lives where this, this conflict happens, I'm asked to try to interview Richard Stallman. And by the way, when the office tells me to go interview Richard Stallman, they go, try. Hmm. And they give me this smile, like there's an inside joke that I don't know. I read a little bit about Richard Stallman in terms of achievements, and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, he invented that license, and you know, he's a free software activist. He is the free software person. And I go up to him at uh, Hacker Congress last year, and it's always a little difficult, right, just to go up to somebody cold. But we did have a common friend, um, well, never mind who it was, uh, a common friend, high profile, yay. And he had, he was nearby, but he didn't even... I didn't get to do a, a, a real recommendation, but it doesn't matter because Richard Stallman, I didn't know this, is extremely strict about um, everything in his life, about what computers he uses, about where he goes, about who he talks to. Um, and I'll get into more details. I know I'm taking long. So someone had warned me, don't use the word uh, creative commons or uh, open license. Don't say open license. Don't say Creative Commons, say free software, and do not stray from that. 
Here's what I did. I watched the man for a little while. Hacker after hacker or whatever, young person after young person would come up to him, very nervous. A lot of young, nervous German kids. Hello, Richard, I really like your work. I also use... And then almost predictably or, or, or like clockwork, they would eventually say the wrong word. I, yeah, I, I also use open license. Don't say open license. That's not the word we use. Is that? No, that's not what we do. No, you've got it wrong. And, and kids would just fall apart. They're there to kiss his ass and, and they love him. And he's, as, as Bill Burr would say, dressing them down uh, in the moment. It's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. These kids mean nothing but, but good things. And they, they're his biggest supporters. And he's, each one, one after the other, he's taken them apart. And I just thought, oh boy, okay, well, I got to give it a shot. So I go up to him and I say uh, something like, let me see if I can reenact it. Uh, Hello, Richard. Uh, We don't know each each other, but we have a lot of friends in common, including people standing right here. And um, actually, I'm doing work with the Wikimedia Foundation. I thought that would help, by the way, you know. I'm doing work with the Wikimedia Foundation and we produce a podcast. I got about this far. And he stops, he interrupts, and he goes... What format? He doesn't even look me in the eye. He, what format do you publish in? And I know what's coming here. So I say, one of the formats we publish in is AUG. Because that's the free format, right? The free software, non-copy. And he goes, and what are the other formats? Jesus. And I go, we also publish in MP3. In fact, MP3 is probably our most widely used and AUG isn't. And he goes, yeah, sorry, no interview. And I said, uh, well, you, but you haven't heard the details of what the podcast is about. And he's like, yeah, no, I, I can't. I'm sorry. I just cannot. I can't. I won't. I won't. I've never really uh, done an interview uh, that would be published in a proprietary format. Uh, I think it's a mistake. He just goes on to shit all over the idea of publishing an MP3. And, and then he says, um, gets all proud of himself. And he says, you know, I, I actually got Radio New Zealand to switch formats, and they now publish in AUG. By the way, I went to look it up. It's not even true. It might have been true for that episode to shut the man up. But um, he says, yeah, I got Radio New Zealand to change their whole format, and I agreed to do an interview for them. And I'm just sitting there thinking, like, this is not possible. First of all, this is not happening. And second of all, that's not even possible. And he's like, yeah, no, sorry, won't do it, won't do it, can't do it. And I was like, but Richard, I mean, it's, it's the Wikipedia community, like, international. Like, I'm sure a lot of people would like to hear from you. They probably hear from you in different ways anyway. We could talk about the work that you're doing. You could really t- take us through it. You know, it's, it's an opportunity, one more opportunity from a lot of people who I think already like you. And he's like, no, I, I, I don't do that. I'm sorry. Uh, sorry. No interview. And then he, and then he goes, I, I once made an exception. And he names like the BBC or something. I once made an exception. I want, and I was just like, okay. He's and wasting all his time. Ugh. And he goes, and actually, I, I really, I think it's, uh, it's sad that you publish an MP3 or something. And, and, uh, and anyway, you're just not, you're not, I mean, if, if it were some other media, I might make an exception. So he says something like this, and I was like, okay, you can stop with the insults, actually. I mean, I'm, I'm here asking you for an interview, you've declined, but now you proceed to insult me over and over again. And he goes, oh, I, I didn't mean it as, an, I didn't mean it as, it's just... It's just, you know, it's not, it's not big enough. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. To, and, it and I was like, yeah, that's fine. I've had enough of the insults. I'm going to go now. Uh, good luck. You know, and I just walked away. And then I, I heard as I was walking away, different people coming up to him next, doing the exact same thing, like zombies, like zombies. And I thought, if I ever, I wouldn't, I wish I had never gone up to him. Like, 
And I, I, I take any opportunity I can to bring him up. In, <laughs> I gave a talk in like Bulgaria last week, and I said, you know, I know some of you are Richard Stallman fans, and you believe in orthodoxy, only free software. Please don't be offended. I'm going to talk about other tools, even some stuff that is not open source. And if you want to be all indignant and walk out, you can do it now. Like, otherwise, I, otherwise, I don't mean you any harm. You know, <laughs> like, I don't mean you any harm. But it turns out what I didn't understand is that Richard Stallman, first of all, he has a psychological problem, uh, Asperger's among others, and you can Google uh, his rider. You know, the document that says if you want him to speak, uh, exactly what you have to do, and it would make Metallica uh, blush. You know, it's, it's, it's a long list, which includes the exact temperature that the hotel lobby and or room has to be in. Um, don't Send anyone to show me around the city. I hate that. I prefer to learn a city on my own. And the most famous part of the... Um, he gets into food, of course. Um, the computers that the presentations can run on. Um, of course, it has to all be free software. And um, at the end, it says... Well, actually, oh, in it, he says, I actually don't want to stay in hotels. I prefer to stay at somebody's house. Very charming. And I would especially like it if they had a, a pet. That would be fine. Uh, dogs, perhaps, as long as certain size... Um, I'm especially fond of parrots. Uh, I find them fascinating birds. If someone has a parrot, I would be very happy. And then the next paragraph is in like bold letters. Do not, under any circumstances, get a parrot just to please me. That would be very bad. Parrots taken in captivity from the wild are some of the most abused animals. Do not do that. And that's called the uh, the parrot rider or the if you just, yeah. And so like people like this make me hate being a podcaster. Because, I mean, in this case, I had a message, I had a, 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 a mission, I was asked to get an interview with this person. That's the hardest part, when it's not just you anymore. Other people are relying on you or have demands. Yeah. You have to please them. Not just the audience now, we got co-producers. And um, so what I hated was, I, got, I, don't, I think it's pride. Like, I had to go up to this guy and I had to be insulted and I just, I'm too goddamn old to be insulted by this idiot. I don't care if he's the godfather of free software. I really don't. And um, if I knew that, I would have just walked away. I do not want to waste my time. And it hurt me. You know, like I just, I wish it hadn't hurt me. And now I can laugh about it. And actually, I got a story out of it. So thanks, Richard. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, not only that, but now I have this kinship with anyone who's ever organized an event and had to deal with them. <laughs> so I learned that the New York hackers also were like, mm. You know, well, the open source soup Nazi. The, yes, <laughs> yes. The temperature in the room wasn't very good. He had to complain about the ice cubes in his drink at at the Hope conference. Why are there ice cubes? Too many ice cubes. So, I have also gotten this pride thing, and I think it's part of becoming an old man because there's an old man in here somewhere, and that old man goes, "Sorry, I've I've been around, and I'm not going to be treated like shit. I already got treated like shit. Like now, I just want it a little better." Um, but this, this doesn't bode well with matching up with podcasting because podcasting is still, you're an outsider, you're on your own, you're working alone. It's, you're not always going to be respected. So you've got to have a thick skin. And my skin is actually not as thick as it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Like I get my feelings hurt. And it's, it's annoying. It's really annoying. Yeah. yeah Having to nice. beg people because I really need to talk to them. And it's, yeah, it's, it's I don't like it. Don't like it. Yeah, I see it because it... it it reminds me a lot of a job. Yes. Right? You All of a sudden you're doing things that you actually don't want to do. No. But someone else, yeah. yeah. But, but you feel and you're friends, oh, this is such an interesting person, this would be 
my audience would love to hear this person yeah. talk. So all of a sudden you put this pressure on yourself, even if you have, don't have a, a, a company behind you that asks you to interview people. Mm -hmm. you, uh, you have this virtual boss that you made up True. yourself. And uh, True. then it becomes, yeah, yeah. it sucks because it reminds you too much of uh, 9 to 5, I guess. Yeah, true. And I think that's part of it becoming a job, perhaps, because when you, if it's just you and your audience, and your audience usually is going to be along for the ride no matter what, hopefully, then you can, you can walk away and you can decide what you're going to do and not going to do. When you've got other people involved, it's harder. Though, I have to say, one of my favorite things now, and I think it's a key to my future, working with other people. Okay. Working alone for too long, I think, has been bad for my health, um, my, my, my journalistic health or whatever mm -hmm. it is, production health. Um, I think for too long I was just entertaining myself and it's nice to work with other people and ask them their ideas, even with the conflicts occasionally, and it'll drive me crazy sometimes, but I have a newfound value for working for others after working alone for so long. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah maybe like in small groups, one or two people, that's great. I don't know. I recently said something about I, I, wanna, I do want to work with Chris Lydon again, um, and someone reminded me that... During that trip, I was corresponding with someone, and I, and I had days where I was not happy, and it was hard. And we were not, you know, we just we didn't agree on some small things. But, uh, but I think that's one of those things where you realize how wonderful a journey was when it's over. And in the moment, you have your moments where you're like, ah, this is hard. Ah, I'm tired. And we didn't agree on this. So, uh, yeah, I actually, I see the value more and more as time goes on. But, um, yeah, I, I, don't know. I don't know. Getting old. That's the thing. And I'm not that old, but it's still, you, you see a difference. Um. Experience is good, but it can also really slow you down. Um, yeah. I hate to bring it up again. I think I talked about it on the past three episodes, which wow. I haven't even had yet, but uh, the concept of uh, naivety. Oh, yes. I've seen it. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and I'm trying to regain some of that, Ooh. which is almost impossible, I think, but I try. I try to put some of my experiences in a drawer and ignore them for a while and become a little bit more daring because yeah. they can slow you down. Often for the better, they prevent you from getting hurt, yeah. making the same mistakes all over Same mistake, right. But sometimes it just leads to that brilliant stuff. Like, you know, the, the easiest example is moving abroad. Mm -hmm. I didn't mm -hmm. even think for a second that it could be a bad idea. Right. And right. now I'm like, oh. oh. Yeah, much less willing. Much <laughs> less willing to move abroad again. Yeah. And the number one thought, I've heard you say this, I've built something here. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I have to do it all over again. Yeah. Instead of, I get to do it all over again. Awesome. It's just... It's true. But part of that is that in the beginning when I was building something... I was looking forward to when it was built to be able to enjoy it and also the, 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 the fruits, you know. I've always said about work, about life, I'm a farmer, you know, and I am from a family of farmers, but when it comes to the internet, when it comes to media, I'm a farmer. I, I, I plant all these little seeds, these little ideas with friends, with possible interviews, whatever. Seed, 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 walk away. Don't expect anything, but at the same time, hypocrisy included here I look forward to when some of those things will grow into something do a lot of things never say no to a job that's been key to a lot of my fun adventures never say no to a job now I say no more often I'm older and, and I'm tired of being taken advantage of because that happened a lot um, so, but still I've been a farmer and I've watched as 
yes, some of those plants grew and there are fruits that I get to enjoy, but a lot of it didn't. So much of it didn't. And I guess it's important not to be bitter about that. <laughs> if you're a farmer, you know the risks. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I've just been such a believer in the farming thing. Um, mm. I'm not a hunter, I'm a farmer, when it comes to <laughs> making funny. things. Definitely not a hunter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. All right. I think we have to find food, young man. Oh, shit. Food. food. Dear audience, oh, we're talking... I don't even know if people eat after 10 o'clock in this country. Yeah, that might actually be tricky. <laughs> <laughs> this will actually be... We're going to be skeletons when this is over. Well, don't worry. All for the sake of podcasting. Yeah. yeah but this was awesome. And uh, I think an eye-opener for a lot of people that uh, are big fans of podcasts, but don't really get have the full history of it. Yeah. Because each country, I guess, has gone through True. a different... True. Their own. And, yeah. Um... Um, the podcast phenomenon here is still quite young I find hmm. and it, I don't like it that much because it's very celebrity and media driven so there's these radio programs that put the content that they produce mm-hmm. anyway uh, in a podcast feed and celebrities gosh <laughs> yeah I leave that at that And uh, but awesome talking to you again and I could have done it for many hours ahead maybe once we found food we stick mic absolutely into our faces again yeah food changes the conversation too that's another tip always eat before an interview or at least a little bit before don't be hungry not during <laughs> all these little things I've adopted over the years okay let's all right friends bye bye for now bye. bye and that was episode number 10 can you believe it 10 episodes yeah so <laughs> Let's keep our fingers crossed today will be in episode 11. I'm sure there will be. Um, yeah, so I hope you enjoyed this one. I hope you're enjoying your summer. If you're listening to this during the summer, if you want to get in touch with me, let me think. There was an email address I had, uh, stocktownchronicles at gmail.com. And if you want to follow me on social media channels, just check out... M Gleisner M G L E I S N E R. That's the one I use on pretty much everything. I think. If not, shoot me an email um, or Snap or whatever you do. And a word from a sponsor. This special tenth anniversary podcast was presented to you by Pokemon Go Home. Do you ever feel that you drink a little bit too much? With Pokemon Go Home, you get an augmented reality indicator for how drunk you actually are. If you point your camera of the your camera on, on your phone uh, to the bottom of the glass that you're holding in your hand, and you see funny little monsters, it's time to go home. For just nine ninety nine at any Pokemon Go online shop merchandise dealer I really shouldn't drink when recording commercials from our sponsors but that would have never happened with Pokemon Go Home so download Pokemon Go Home take pictures of your drinks and drink responsibly bye Pick
Tchau!